welcome to the Gut Church Podcast. My name is Kennedy Shear, and thank you so much for joining us. Today, we have a great word for you. If this ministry has changed your life, will you let us know? Send us an email to story at gutchurch.com. Uh, well, good evening, y'all. How's everybody doing? Yep, yep. Feels like summertime outside. I guess that changes in a couple of weeks, but... Man, we're glad that you're here. My name is Jason Law. Um, I get to serve as an elder here at the church and excited that you guys made it out on a Wednesday night. Honored to be able to host you guys. Pastor Bill, Pastor Sandy are traveling and always an honor to be able to be up here and to share the word with you in his place. Um, It's definitely a privilege. We've got a big night on campus tonight. Anybody see the drum line outside? We've got high school kids all over the place from high schools all over. I don't know how many that are here tonight. Uh, Usually it's in the 20s. Um, So that's a part of the outreach that we do every single week. There are men from this church that are going to high school football teams, celebrating a big play, handing them out a t-shirt and giving them a little bit of dose of God's word. And then we host those teams across the street in our GYC facility at our youth church as a full school uh, once a week throughout the football season. And tonight is the big award ceremony. Parents come. And so it's a big piece of what we do in outreach. So I know we've got a lot of volunteers helping to make that happen tonight. Um, which, speaking of, I just want to take a minute and appreciate everybody who volunteers. Can, I don't, if you serve here anywhere in the church, it could be once a month, not once a year though, once a week. Can I see your hands just real quick? Man, can we give them a hand? We got people in the nursery, people in the bands, people in the parking lots, parking our cars. It takes an army of people to kind of host everybody, every service that we have here. We couldn't do it without you guys, so thank you so much. Uh, for the time and the hours that you put into that. I want to give everybody a quick opportunity to give. Another way that we serve here at church, we are a generous church. The different ways to give are going to be on the screen behind me. You can text in to give. If you're watching online, you can give online. If you prefer to fill out a check, you can use the red envelope in the seat back in front of you. And on your way out, there's some black offering boxes on the wall. Feel free just to slip it in there. Um, And we're going to believe God with you that every need that you have is met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The way this works is you give, he's going to give back to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And I would challenge you to try God in that. The word says that we can test him in that. Uh, Something that we live by and believe in full heartedly in our own lives, my own family with Beth and and this church. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, We are in a series on Romans, going through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And tonight, I've got the uh, distinct privilege and challenge of laying out Romans chapter 11. Um, So Romans 9, 10, and 11 deal with the subject of Israel. And 11 is going to wrap that up. Um, This is going to go through some church history, some future potential events. There's a lot of different ways we can go here. There is a ton of to unpack tonight. Um, And I'm just praying that we can get through this uh, as quickly as we can to be cognizant of your time. So it is um, definitely an important chapter. It's been fun to study for this and to prepare for this. As we jump into it real quick, though, I want to give a quick recap of Israel or of chapters 9 and 10. We closed out chapter 10 where we see Israel has rejected God. 
They have denied him. They've denied this gift of grace. They've denied the Messiah coming to save them. They couldn't recognize what was happening. And despite of all the, the testimonies, the fulfillment of prophecy from Old Testament to New Testament, despite all the times that they witnessed miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, just over and over and over again, they would deny it. They became to have a hardened heart and a stubbornness, the Bible says, rejecting Jesus. So God puts them aside for a moment, and that's where we're picking up here in Romans chapter 11. They should have seen this coming. If you go through and you really want to study Romans 11 and you see the number of Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled and you start cross-referencing verses, I'm telling you God's word will come alive to you in a new way. Uh, that you maybe have never experienced before. The Bible will become more real to you. Your faith will be increased if you could actually take the time and study this. But despite that, these people denied Jesus. They rejected him. Even after he was resurrected, they denied him. They literally just rejected him. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus tried to warn them when he talked about new wine coming. He talked about that you can't add an old garment to a new garment because when it grows, it'll stretch and it'll break away. All these teachings throughout the Gospels, and they still didn't get it. And so it came to a point where God's plan was altered a little bit. Still fulfills everything that he wanted to do. He's not changing. He didn't come off course. But in his sovereignty, he leaves us with choice. And a lot of times we get to eat the fruit of our choice, which is the wrath of God. He allows us to live in the decisions that we make. And this is where we pick up with Israel. Right before we jump into Romans, though, Jesus knowing this, before it fully happens, Jesus knows this. This is the the craziness of a God who knows all things, but yet he still walks us through things. He knows how things are going to end up. And it's really hard for our minds and our finite understanding to understand the ways of God sometimes. That's why the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. But Jesus knowing this in Luke chapter 19, I'm just going to set the stage so we get into Romans 11 a little bit. It'll make a little bit more sense. He says this, it says this, now as he has drawn near, he's heading to the city of Jerusalem. He sees the city and he wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and they will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know this time of your visitation. That's strong. This is Jesus riding on a donkey. He's heading into Jerusalem. It's nearing the time where he was going to go and be crucified on the cross. And he already knows the stance in the hearts of his chosen people. And this is what he says to them. If you go and study church history, you end up finding out he happens to know what he's talking about. This happened shortly after the resurrection, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that he refers to here happened in 70 AD during the, during the uh, Roman surge, they literally destroyed Israel, flattened it. You go to the ruins today, there's not much left to see, and it proves this scripture to be true. But this is the second time that this has happened. It's happened one other time prior to this during the Babylonian reign. I want to say somewhere around 300 and 400 AD, but I'm not a church history expert. But if I remember correctly, that's right. And this is significant 
because of some of the Old Testament prophecies. But what's interesting, and I want to paint a picture and remind you of some Israeli history to help paint some background before we jump into the Romans 11. Isaiah 11.11 says, The Lord will set his hand a second time to restore the remnant of my people. The first time that he did that was after the Babylonian reign. The second time that he did that was after the disbursement of people of Rome destroying Israel right after Jesus spoke these words in 70 AD. But there were literally thousands of years that went by prior to that restoration. Does anybody remember when Israel was restored physically? There's a physical and a spiritual restoration. Physically, they were brought back together as a people and as a nation on May 14, 1948, when the United Nations declared Israel as an official nation. So this is what's amazing. I'm not quite that old. Scott, I don't even think you are. I'm not sure if anybody else in this room, my dad was one of the oldest people I knew. He was 43. Um, but in our lifetime, that's about all the humor you're going to get tonight. This is a pretty serious subject. Out of all of history and the big scale of things, we are actually living in a modern day time, a modern time of history where scripture is still being walked out. And we're going to see some of this in Romans 11. It's actually a very exciting time. And you think about some of the world events right now of what's happening. So here we go. Israel's rejected God. We're picking up in Romans 11. And Paul asks a question as if he's talking to someone who would be questioning him and his theory about what's going on. And he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Judah. So keep in mind, Paul is a Jew himself. God has not cast away his people who he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and tore down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the elect of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But, is it of, of, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Again, this is speaking to there is an elect, there's an, a remnant group of people, an elect group of people, of Jewish people, that God moved on their hearts that accepted the message of grace. We are saved by grace through faith. They accepted that message. But the nation as a whole hardened their heart and they rejected this. They wanted to continue to live by the law and have to perform certain things. So they rejected the Messiah. So this is what he's speaking to here. So as a nation, they've rejected him. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. So they couldn't obtain that righteousness through the works of the law. They couldn't do it. But the elect have attained it. But uh, he... Uh, the elect have obtained it. I still can't do it. Have, I'm going to get it. Have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor. I want to say that's where we get stupid from, but I really don't know, but we should, we should say that anyways. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. I don't have time to get into it, but you can go read 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 16, and Paul talks to the Corinthians church about this very thing, about a veil that is still on top, that they, they have over their minds and over their hearts to this very day, the day that you and I even live in right now. 
And David says, okay, prophecy fulfilled, let their tables become a snare and a tarp, a stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. We've got to keep going because there's a lot here. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And he's talking about for good. They fall away for good. Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. For their being cast away, again, temporarily, not permanently, is the reconciling of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? A couple points I want to clarify here. Israel's fall is not what opened, is not the reason why God made the decision to give us salvation. His plan all along was to bring salvation to all of humanity. It is his will and his desire that none should perish. All those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He clarifies this in Matthew chapter 24 when he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue. Nation is literally ethnos or ethnic language, linguistic group, and then the end will come. It's the only time in scripture that we know when the end will come. It's the only verse that we can stand on in terms of reference to that for all you end time people. That's it. It's the bottom line. It's a mission. But his plan all along was for all people, but he wanted to do it through the Israeli nation, through the Jewish people. Now, because of their choice, his plan has changed a little bit. He still does it through the Jewish people. I'll explain here in a, in a more, in a little bit. It has sped up his plan to reach the Gentiles. He said, okay, you don't want to do that? We're going to do this. I've got my remnant. I've set aside a couple of people. God's plan was always to reach us through his covenant people, the, Israel, the Jewish people. Though it didn't happen the way that he wanted to, he still did it. Let's think about this. Jesus was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. Peter was a Jew that lived in a Gentile region, and he was called to be an apostle of a Jew to the Jewish people. Paul was a Jew, lived in a Jewish region, and he was called to be an apostle to reach the Gentiles. It's backwards, just like how God does a lot of things. But they came through a Jewish lineage. Think about in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations, right? Through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. I already described what nations is. It's every language, every linguistic group. The father, he's the father of faith. Isaac and Ishmael both came from Abraham. Isaac is a representation of faith. It is the child, it's the legitimate son from Abraham that was born between him and Sarah after they messed up. And they had the illegitimate son of Ishmael where they took matters into their own hands and tried to fulfill the promise of God in their life to have that baby that God told them they would. Abraham messed up, got Hagnar, his maidservant, pregnant. It's a sign and a symbol of taking something into your own hands and trying to do something by the arm of the flesh and making it happen your way. It ends bad every time. Isaac is a representation of trusting God 
Abraham repented, fell on his face. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He fell on his face. He repented. And God fulfills the promise almost 25 years later of Isaac. Isaac represents the son of faith. It's the lineage in which Jesus comes from. He still reached the nations. He's still staying true to who he is. And his original plan is to reach all nations, all people through his people, the Jewish people. What's amazing is after Jesus was born in Luke chapter 1, eight days after he was born as accustomed to Jewish, uh, Jewish tradition, the boys were circumcised. And Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's another subject, but interesting, says this, bless the Lord God of Israel, for he has remembered his covenant that he swore to our father Abraham. Prophecy fulfilled. God does not lie. Numbers 23 Psalms 105, he remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. These are things that we see unfold in the gospel message, that what he promised Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, Jesus comes through, and that he's going to reach the Gentile nation through the, through the uh, Jewish lineage, has been proven true. So what is Paul talking about now in this section of Romans 11 where he says, I'm going to provoke them to jealousy. His plan was that, okay, now my, God's people's rejected you, rejected me. I'm going to go and open up salvation to the Gentiles, people who are non-Jews. And they're going to literally get jealous because they're going to see the relationship and the covenant that we have together now, and they're all going to come to, to know me. That maybe didn't happen in Paul's lifetime how he would have thought. So here's where I want to insert some of my own personal opinion, things that I wonder. Some of you know that I get to lead an organization called World Compassion. We work in countries around the world that are considered hostile or restricted to the gospel message. One of the nations that we work in is the country of Iran. Iran in the last couple of years, unapologetically and publicly across worldwide news stations, has voiced that they would like to wipe Israel off the face of the map. There was a couple of years ago, I got held at gunpoint right outside of Mosul. We were down there doing some work, and it was a bunch of uh, is, uh, Iranian regime military that had just taken over. The American forces have just left, and the Kurdish forces uh, were holding this one area just outside north of Mosul, and they had just left. What well, created a vacuum of who was controlling this land, and we're going down uh, to Baratala and a couple other areas right near Mosul. And we went to a checkpoint that I was there three months earlier. Everything was fine. But all of a sudden, these forces left. And we found this, uh, got held at gunpoint by this Iranian group. Well, they were there literally trying to build a land bridge to get to Israel so they could fulfill that. And to this day, I believe they're working on that. Now, this is just something fun to think about. It's not scriptural. It's not the stance of the church. This is Jason's stance. Are we clear on that? I think it's fun to think about. If God wants to provoke Israel to jealousy, how amazing would it be if he turned the hearts of the Iranian people, the Muslim people who are trying to kill and wipe out the Israeli people, and for them to see the relationship that they begin to have with their heavenly father, that that might be the thing that provokes them to a revival. What's amazing right now, what's happening in Iran, the church is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Just a couple of years ago, it was growing at a rate at 5.2%. Now it's 19.7%. A new study came out and it's estimated, sometimes I get these stats mixed up, so just forgive me because I don't have it down. 
um, a study came out, and it's about 42% of the nation, almost 50 million people, who are beginning to turn their back on Islam, and they're searching for something else. That's almost half of the population of Israel. doesn't mean they're running to Christianity, but it does mean there's a huge opportunity. There's a huge harvest opportunity, and the Iranian church is ready for it. We have teams on the ground. We talk to them regularly. They're meeting with people. We have reached over 250,000 people over the last couple of years by just simply hand-delivering a physical Bible. People download Bibles all the time, but they always ask, when do I get my own Bible? Well, it's a great opportunity to put a tool in a believer's hands in a house church just like you who has friends that are turning their back on Islam and beginning to ask questions about Christianity, about Jesus, and asking for a Bible for them to be able to hand them that gift and open up the conversation. And that's why we're seeing the growth rate we are. Thus, my opinion of what if. I wonder if God could be doing something in the hearts of the sons of Ishmael that might provoke jealousy in the sons of Isaac in terms of the Jewish people that might lead them to salvation. We're going to see here in a minute that there's gonna, there has to be a revival amongst the Jewish people before end time gets here. There's my theory. We should move on. I don't even know what verse I'm on right now. 16, here we go. Four, if the first fruit is holy, the lump sum is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olives tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off I might be, that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Here's a point. We did not, and there's arguments in the church on this doctrinally, but in terms of where I lean, and Pastor Bill and I have had a lot of conversation on this, had some good conversation today, I lean this direction. My stance on this point is actually pretty strong, that we did not replace Israel. We've been grafted in with Israel. Israel and the Jewish people are still God's chosen people. We just are lucky to be a part of it. We weren't a part of the inner circle, now we are. We were not a chosen people, but now we are a chosen people. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood. That is our rightful position that we should assume humbly, as Paul instructs us in 19. John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus even said this, I have sheep, not of this fold, that I must get that there may be one fold and one shepherd, and they will listen to my voice. So his goal was to merge, to bring together the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Jesus is talking about this in, in the Gospels of, of chapter John before Paul even penned these words in Romans. So we were not a people. What's amazing, I learned this uh, this last week studying for this. Amazing about an olive tree. I didn't know this. You might have known this. But you have the trunk of the olive tree. And I guess olive tree farmers, I don't know if that's what they're called, so forgive me if, if it's something different than that. They literally can take a young branch from a different olive tree. They can cut a slit into the trunk of, an, of another olive tree. They can stick it in there, wrap it, or somehow form it to that tree, make sure it gets nutrients, and that branch to this day will still grow into that trunk. 
and become nutri- uh, uh, receive nutrients from that trunk. Meaning, you could have multiple different olives growing, types of olives, out of the same trunk, out of the same root. An incredible picture of the diversity of the body of Christ, of his goal and his mission is to reach all nations and all people, and we're all grafted in to the same source. So the root is pure, makes us all pure. Does that make sense? That's pretty cool. I'd like to actually see that sometime. But our spirit towards this should be one of humility. There's something that we teach our kids often, maybe not often enough, we should probably pick it up, is humble confidence. Humble confidence. Do not be haughty, but be confident. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, I believe, Jesus said, let this mind, or Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in the, in the, it was also in Christ Jesus, whom in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Pastor Bill, we talk about that a lot all the time. That is our position in Christ. We're in right standing with him. That's who we are. That's where we find our confidence. Here's the mindset, though. That's the mindset. He said, let this mind be in you. That's, that's how we perceive ourselves. That's how you should see yourself. You're in right standing with God if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. You are righteous. That's what it means to be right standing. Again, that is our position. But our attitude, our heart posture, our demeanor should follow this. But Jesus made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. That's our attitude. It's a humble confidence that Paul is saying this is how we approach our life in Christ. Remind you, we were grafted into this. The very beginning of our salvation begins with a heart posture of surrender to Jesus. I got to surrender my life to you. It's a posture of humility, of submission. I'm making you the Lord of my life. That's what we do. That's how the beginning of this life works. That's also what sustains us in this life. Jesus in in Luke 252, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He grew in favor. He grew in grace. God's grace is his favor, his power, and his ability. If, you can, if Jesus can grow in, in grace, we can grow in grace. How do we grow in grace? James talks about this. God resists the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. If we want to continue operating in his power, his ability, and his favor over our life, Even though there might be a lot of hard work, there isn't toil because God's grace is in our life. We live a life positioned in a spirit of humility, of humble confidence. That's where we see God's grace breathe in our lives. Paul is talking about that here. Don't get arrogant. Remember, you were grafted in. We didn't replace Israel. We get to come alongside Israel with the Jewish people with what God's doing. Okay, verse 22. Yes? Is anybody tracking this? Because I'm not as good as I probably should be. All right. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, and that it is, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. The blindness in part has happened to Israel. Again, as a nation, Israel as a nation, 
until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. I'll speak to that in a minute. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. All of Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Here's what's amazing is in the midst of their faithlessness, God has remained faithful. And that is absolutely true for us today. As much as we mess up and as many times as we don't trust God as we should or as many times as we don't respond in, those, in, in quick obedience to him as we should, God remains faithful to us. We sang about it tonight. He always remains faithful, even in our faithlessness. He's waiting there patiently. He's encouraging us. He's meeting us where we are. He's picking us up. He's bringing us along. He's the lifter of our head. Yes, we have to encourage ourselves. We have to build our own faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to take responsibility in that. But sometimes when we're weak, man, we serve a God that loves us. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. He is faithful all the time. And that really is the underlying theme and the overarching story of his heart towards Israel that we see in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. God is staying true to his covenant with the people of Israel, his plan to save the entire nation. Many of you are familiar with the prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37 where he talks about dry bones. It's in a picture where God takes Israel to this valley of dry bones. And he begins to tell them to prophesy over these dry bones. In verse 11, he says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. Verse 14, I'm, I have to go quick. I will pour out my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. You shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. It was true for them in the past, the first time that God brought them back to the, the land. And it's true the second time that God's brought them back to the land. I believe personally that this prophecy lives on. That God will breathe on dry bones. Just like he will do for Israel, he will do that for you. When you seem dead, you seem desolate, you seem dry, man, God will breathe a fresh life on you through the power of his spirit that is in you to bring you back to life, to lift your head, to give you that hope, to give you that vision for life. That is his promise. What he does for Israel, he has to do for us because we are a part of the same trunk. He is no respecter of persons. That's the beauty of his plan. As it relates to the end times, because we can't talk about this without talking about the end times, and this is a direction that I lean, when it talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, it's a number and it's a time that only God knows. We do not know when the fullness of time will come, when the fullness of Gentiles come. And there's differing opinions on this, but this is my stance, that when that moment comes, that's when the rapture happens. Then there's another seven-year reign, the seven-year of tribulation. I believe it's during that time that God turns his heart towards Israel and there's a restoration. It may not be easy, but Israel's going to begin to turn their heart towards God again. Yet to be seen. Yet to be a revival amongst God's people. Right now, our mission is this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go make disciples of every nation. That's It's everybody. That's what I get to do some, for the most part as a living. That is our mission. That is our focus. So I don't get too hung up on debating end time things because it's like, you know what? We're going to find out when we get there how it really goes down. But right now what I do know we have to do is we got to go reach everybody, every tongue, every tribe, every linguistic group, and they are all accepted into the kingdom of God for those who believe. If you want to go read, you can go read Daniel chapter 12, phenomenal 
talks about the great time trouble that Jacob or Israel will have during the tribulation period. And then in Zechariah chapter 12, I'll read this just real quickly, 10 through 11, says this, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem. Okay, verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Talking about the Jewish people to the Romans, but, or to the Gentiles. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The Jews rejected Jesus and therefore began to persecute the, ch- the church. That's why he refers to them as their enemy. They, per- they persecuted the early church. But God will restore Israel just as he has promised that he would. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have been, been diso- even so also these also have been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth and the riches of both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a story of God's mercy, of his grace, his forgiveness, his faithfulness to his chosen people. And we get to be a part of that story. That's the bottom line of Romans 11, 9, 10, and 11. He is a God that restores. It doesn't matter what we've done, as I said earlier, and our disobedience and our wayward way, he is always waiting there patiently to receive us where we are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I've prayed with people at the altar before. It's like, man, you, you, don't, understand, God, you don't understand what I've done. Let me just tell you, there's nothing that you have done that God has not seen on this earth before. There's nothing that you have done that would separate you from his love for him not extending the gift of Jesus to you. He can't do that. He is one that cannot lie. It is available to everybody. You do not have to come into church. You do not have to come to the altar. You don't have to come to Christ. You don't have to be ready. You don't have to have your life put together yet. That's the point. He loves you just as you are. And the point of us giving our life to Jesus is that moment that we do that, salvation is immediate, but transformation is a life process. And I feel like God wants somebody or all of us to be reminded of that tonight, that it doesn't matter what you've done, if you've fallen away, you've been disobedient, man, God's not been first on your list. Wherever you fall on the spectrum, maybe you've never made Jesus Lord of your life before, and you're sitting here thinking, man, one day I'm gonna give my life to Jesus, but I gotta get some stuff together before. That's not how it works. He wants you right now. He wants you where you are. Samson in the Bible was a judge for for the Israel people. And the Philistines wanted to kill him. And so they talked his girlfriend into seducing him to learn what powers he had. He had supernatural strength. And she kept 
pursuing him and he would kind of lie to her and she kept pursuing him. She'd get mad at him, you know, like a dramatic girlfriend would of not giving you the information that they really want. And eventually he breaks down with her persistence and he discloses to her that it's my hair. If you cut my hair, I lose my strength. That was a covenant that he had between him and God. She, as cutting his hair, as he's resting on her lap and the, the Philistines come in and he can't overpower them. They take him, they pluck his eyes out, they put him in prison. They bring him out to perform and what that really means is they bring him out and they just mock him, they make fun of him, they harass him. And one time they brought him out, there's 3,000 people gathered in the temple and the boy who went to the prison gates and brought him before the people, he whispered to him and he said, can you put me between the two supporting pillars of this temple? And he cried out to God and he says, Lord, hear my prayer. Restore to me this day my strength. And in that moment, God restores Samson's strength and he pushes against these pillars and he demolishes these men and women to fulfill the kingdom of God, the purpose that God had. My point of the story isn't that. It's the fact that even when we fall away, sometimes we might miss opportunity. He was never restored to be a judge of Israel. But God will always restore you into right standing with him. That even in the last hour, the last time, no matter how broken or how far away you are from God, that you can cry out to God, Lord, hear my prayer. And he is faithful every single time to hear you and to restore you. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Father, for your word. God, I thank you for your covenant relationship that we get to be a part of with your people. God, we thank you for Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, the gift of Jesus that we're even about to move into a season of Christmas to celebrate. God, we give you our lives again tonight. We surrender ourselves to you. God, in an attitude of humility and thankfulness, of the fear of the Lord, of respect and a reverence, for what you have done for us. Now, if you're in here tonight, I'm just gonna lead everybody in a prayer, but if you've never given your life to the Lord, I want you to repeat after me and I want you to say this like you mean it. Everybody's gonna pray with you. We're over time, so I gotta close. But this prayer in Romans chapter 10, Pastor Chano talked about this last week, that those who believe in their heart, a belief, an internal belief in your heart, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was crucified on the cross, This is the basic gospel message that he came for our sin. He died on that cross for your sins, that he paid the price. This is the message that Israel rejected. I wouldn't recommend you would. And you accept that. You believe it in your heart. And then you confess this unto salvation. That happens immediately for you. And then we're here for you to help you walk through a life of transformation. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I give you my life. Tonight I re-surrender. I dedicate my life to you. I'm submitted to you. I'm yours, Lord. Do a new work in my heart. Create a new mindset in me. God, help me to see myself as you see me. God, I pray that you restore that passion and that fire to share your gospel message with lost people, that we may graft more people into this thank you for the work of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things, old things have passed away. All things have become new in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information about the ministries of Gut Church, visit our website at gutchurch.com.